Well, today we are continuing on our series in the book of Romans. Uh, we are carrying on from where uh, we left off last time, looking at uh, Christ as our new representative, uh, our second Adam, and the life that we have in him. And today we're moving into chapter six, uh, and Lord willing, we'll be doing uh, the rest of chapter six and the start of chapter seven next week. Well, I, I seem to remember that uh, quite a number of years ago, or not that long ago, maybe, uh, there were a whole lot of these sort of makeover uh, shows on our TVs. Uh, I'm sure there's still some of them around. I'm sure they're still popular in some circles. Uh, but at the heart of all of these makeover shows is sort of the, the before and after shot uh, and the big reveal that happens at the end. Uh, you take some sort of ordinary looking person, certainly no model, uh, maybe a little daggy dresser, uh, not a great no makeup. Uh, and in the show, this, this, this massive do-over, uh, you know, haircut, uh, maybe some teeth whitened or straightened, uh, a, a fake tan, some workouts or a diet, depending on what's required, uh, learning how to use the shower and deodorant, simple uh, basic things like that. And then at the end of the show, then, then you get this this, this big reveal that the, the curtain comes back and out steps this, this person who's been made over. And everybody goes, wow, and I can't believe how, how good they look and I can't believe how different they look. And, and people comment about how much more confident they feel uh, with all of this. And one of the, the lines that is used, I think, nearly every episode, uh, and it makes it sound like I've watched a lot of these, but honestly, not, not that many. Uh, one of the lines that is used, um, I feel like a whole new me. It might be tempting uh, for us to think of the Christian life uh, in a similar way as a makeover, a do-over for our lives. A before and after where our image gets a little bit of attention. And in some ways, it, it's, there is some truth to this, isn't there? Uh, when, our, when we become a Christian, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, uh, our relationship with God changes irreversibly. We've seen that so far in the book of Romans, haven't we? We are declared righteous by God, righteous through faith, uh, not guilty right with him, justified through Christ. And we know that some of the externals of our life change when we become a Christian too. Uh, what we talk about, or maybe even the way that we talk and the language that we use, that the, the things that we do, the things that are priorities, the friends that we might hang out with, these things might look different as well. But to think about becoming a Christian in only these terms would be to not go far enough. Because there is more than just a relationship change and an external change that happens. Because faith in Christ does something that no makeover can ever do for us. It doesn't just change us outwardly. It actually changes who we are. We become a completely new person. Now, in a sense, chapter six begins uh, the start of a new section in the book of Romans. Uh, up until this point, Paul has been focusing on justification. Uh, being made right with God through faith in Christ. And now he's moving into sanctification, the ongoing work of God by the Holy Spirit to renew us in the likeness of Christ, 
to grow us in godliness and holiness. But as he makes this transition and he goes on to talk about how we're to live, uh, he needs to make something very clear. It's not just our relationship with God that has changed and it's not just our eternity. And it's not just that we have to start putting in some more effort into doing the right things. Fundamentally, something has changed with us. Something has changed about who we are and how we then relate to sin and to godliness. Now, to raise that idea, Paul, Paul builds on uh, or answers a question that may have been asked at the end of chapter 5, verse 23. Uh, sorry, verse 21, uh, where he said that the law came and increased trespass, so guilt from sin, uh, but that because of that, the grace of God abounded even more. And so the question he anticipates here is, is well, well, if my sinning <laughs> made God's grace abound even further, maybe I just keep on sinning. It's a win-win. I get what I want, and God is more gracious. But his answer to that there in verse 2 is absolutely not. If you, if you think that way, you've completely misunderstood the gospel. And then in verse 2, he introduces the main idea that he's, he's going to be carrying on through throughout uh, this section in Romans 6 and on into the next section we're going to be considering as well, where he says, how can we who died to sin live in it? How can we? if we've died to sin, continue to live in it. And it's this idea that he's going to be unpacking uh, throughout the section this morning, that we're dead to sin, and instead of sin, we're dead to sin, we're alive in Christ. And that's what we're going to be exploring as we go through. Now, to help us then understand this change that has taken place, Paul takes us back now again to our conversion. And he is expanding on the idea that Christ is our representative. Remember last time? Uh, it was only two weeks ago when we looked at the, the second part of Romans 5. We saw that we're no longer represented by Adam, but we're represented by Christ. And in verse 3 now, he, he explains that in terms of being united with Christ. Have a look at verse six, 3 and look what it says. Do you not know? that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were baptized into Christ, united with him, and baptized into his death. Now, we need to think about something here for a moment, because one reading of this could suggest that our baptism alone uh, unites us with Jesus. And if that was the case, then we could sort of walk the streets throwing water around and letting it land on people's heads or throwing people under into pools, depending on what our baptism flavor is. And, uh, and we could then say, well, you, you are, are baptized into Christ. You, you're united with him. But, but that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Because Paul's just spent five chapters explaining that the only way that we are saved is through faith in the Lord Jesus. So he's not going to go now saying, well, you don't actually need that. All you need is, is baptism. So what's he talking about? Well, I remember last year when we, we, we looked through the book of Acts and the year before, and uh, we looked at all of these uh, sermons 
in these sermons that were, that were proclaimed in the book of Acts, uh, they talk about conversion experiences being uh, repentance, turning from sin, faith, turning to Christ, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit. Those, those four things are, are tied up in conversion. And sometimes those sermons talked about one of them, or two of them, or three of them, but it was really talking about the whole experience of coming to know Christ. And that's really what, what Paul is doing here when he talks about baptism. He's talking about our repentance, our faith, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit. It is this singular event of which baptism is the outward sign, that, that the seal that the inward realities have taken place. It's this whole event then that Paul is talking about when he talks about baptism. We used that terminology last week, didn't we? When we, when we, when we baptized Joel, uh, it's a sign of our union with Christ. It's a seal of that union, that outward sign of an inner reality. Well, what does it mean then that we're, we're baptized into Christ? Well, it means then that whatever Christ did, we did with him and in him. Verse 3 then says that we were baptized into his death. Verse 4 goes on to say, put it even further, that we were baptized, buried with him. And verse 4 also goes on to say that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in or live in the newness of life. Now, in the last chapter, Paul was telling us that we had this new representative in Jesus. But this representative is more than what he just did on our behalf. Just like we sinned in Adam, so too in Christ we have died and been buried and raised to a new life. Now, in a, in a moment, we're going to go with Paul as he unpacks some of the implications of that in terms of our relationship with sin and our relationship with, with, with godliness and, and with God. Um, but just for a moment, I, I want to just think then that about what this does then in terms of the assurance we have that we are saved. Because, because when Jesus died, we died too. When Jesus was buried, we were buried as well. And when Jesus was, was raised, we too were raised with him and we will be raised with him. It, it talks about both those two things. You see, I, I think that, that we all have, have gone through, or have been through, maybe even at the moment we go through, times where we question whether we really are saved. M maybe we do that because we, we look at the sin in our lives and, and we think, how awful, how, how terrible am I? How, how can a saved person be doing that? I, I, surely I'm not good enough. Or, or maybe we look at our faith and we think is my faith strong enough to unite me to Jesus I mean like will it stand the test of time but see this this encourages us not to look at our sin or our faith but our savior if we trusted in him we returned from sin faith in him, we're baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. We're saved because we were in Christ in his death 
his burial, and his resurrection. God wants his people to know, to have certainty that they are saved. He, he, he doesn't design or desire for his people to keep questioning whether or not they are, have eternal life in Christ. And he reminds us and he assures us by pointing us to Jesus. He died and so did we. He rose and so did we and so will we. Well, with this idea established, Paul now goes on to spell on what that death and resurrection in Christ means for us. First of all, his death and then being raised. And in this, he has some very, very good news for us. Just as our relationship with God has been irreversibly changed in faith in Christ, so too now has our relationship with sin. And we're focusing here for a moment now on what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. And this is a little bit tricky, I'll be honest. But I also can't overstate how important this is, how foundational it is for Christian living, for dealing with sin and living obediently to God. And it's going to explain what Paul meant when he said in verse 2 that we're dead to sin and how we're dead to sin. Now, he starts off then in verse 6 with what we know. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. It's like a three-step process. That's the first thing. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might become brought to nothing. That's the second part. So that uh, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He says something was crucified in Christ, our old self, so that something else, the body of sin, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, the last part of that probably is the bit that we get most easily. The result of whatever has happened uh, means that you and I are no longer slaves to sin, living under its reign, its rule, its, its dominion. But the question is then, <laughs> What died and what was brought to nothing? Now, when I was a young person, I went on a number of different uh, Christian camps. Uh, and I remember this one camp, this, this leader explained the Christian life like this. And it's a common one, but it's not right. All right. I'll just say that up front. He said that being a Christian is like having two dogs living inside you. You've got a good dog and you've got a bad dog. And somebody that, some days the bad dog wins and you do bad things. And some days the good dog wins and you do good things. But ultimately, the bad dog won't win because it was defeated on the cross. And when Jesus comes again, it will be removed from us completely. Another popular image we have of sort of a similar thing is that you have a, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And, and they're both competing and telling you what to do. Life is a battle of listening for what to one or the other. We've got a sinful nature and we've got a godly nature who are doing that. But that is not what Paul is saying here. He's actually saying something so much better for us. Now, what is that? Well, Paul says that the old self was crucified with Christ. 
It was put to death on the cross. He is talking about the old person that we were before Christ. He's talking about us in Adam, us under sin, us in the death, us enslaved, us uh, having sin reigning over us. That old us that drove our bodies to sin. That's probably what he means by the, by the body of sin. That old self that, that expressed itself in, our, in our, the way we talked and what we did and what we thought. It expressed itself through our bodies. Our bodies driven by our sinful desires. But he says that old person was put to death. That old Adam man or woman was crucified, dead and gone never to be raised again, so that the body of sin, the body expressing itself in sin, might be brought to nothing, that old nature is gone, that drove us to sin, so that we would not be enslaved to sin. No longer do we live under the consequence of sin, which is death. No longer do we live under the domain or the dominion of sin. It doesn't rule or reign over us. We have a new Lord who rules over our lives. And verse 7 reminds us that he was the one who died to set us free from sin. Now let's go back then to verse 2 where Paul says that we are dead to sin. What, is, what does he mean by that? Well, some people would say, well, we, we, we're dead to all of the influence or any power that sin has over us. But that's not quite right, is it? Verse 12, uh, he's going to tell us not to let sin reign over our mortal bodies. Sin can still have influence. Sin still has power. That, that's our experience as well, isn't it? Uh, so Paul can't mean uh, sin no longer has any influence in your life. That's simply not my experience and not the experience of anybody I've spoken to. And if we think that way, we're going to end up either doubting that we truly are Christians or we're going to pretend that we're a whole lot better than we actually are. No, sin still has power and influence, but it does not reign over us. We're not under its dominion anymore. The old self that was is gone. Before we and that old self, we had no chance, no choice. We, we were going to sin. It's ruling of our lives. It's reigning. The old man under Adam is gone, dead and buried. And it's not coming back. Now, we'll get to the application of this in a minute. But there is another part because... Because not only have we died with Christ, we have been made alive in Christ as well. Verse 8 carries on. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And again, this living is present and future. We've got a new life now and we we'll wait for the new bodies to come when Jesus returns. Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no longer has dominion over him. He, he no longer uh, can die again uh, because he died 
for us once and for all and was raised to a new life. And those who are in him have the same blessing or benefit. For the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Sin no longer has dominion over those who are raised in Christ. And as Christ lives a new life to God, so we live a new life to God as well. Now, throughout this letter, Paul keeps building up just kind of this, this sense of how incredible our salvation is in Christ, how deep and rich and wonderful the gospel is, how wonderful it is to be righteous by faith. You know, he told us that, that we're declared right with God. Uh, Jesus took our sin, our guilt on himself and took the punishment we deserve. And in our place, instead, he gave us his righteousness, his, his perfect righteousness, so that God would consider us not guilty and accepted and loved. We looked at the fruits of that at the start of chapter five when Martin preached uh, those few weeks ago. You know, joy and peace, joy and suffering, reconciliation, love, access to the Father, those wonderful fruits that came to us. We have a new representative now in Christ, no longer Adam, but, but, but Jesus, who took us further than Adam ever had it. It's not conditional or probational anymore. Our salvation is certain. But even more, we are removed from the reign of sin over our life under its dominion. We have been raised completely new people. That old person has gone and a new person in Christ has been created in their place. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, had a, a wonderfully simple uh, but really deep way of illustrating this, which I'm just going to shamelessly pinch uh, from him. Uh, he talked about this in terms of uh, two fields. Uh, being right next to each other. This is sort of quaint English countryside scene. In both fields, you have sheep, but in one of them, uh, you have sheep under the reign of the shepherd who is Satan. It's a field in which sheep are the old people in Adam, ruled over by death, controlled by the wishes of the evil one, unable to resist him, unable to resist sin. But in Christ, he says, we've been lifted out of that field. We're dead to it. The old sheep is gone. And we're placed in a new field with a new heart and a new life. Where the shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we hear his voice and we respond to him. Does this mean we won't sin in the new field? Well, no, it doesn't. We can still hear the voice of the old shepherd calling. We still at times will think that we have to obey him. We'll sometimes forget how much better this new field is than the old field and how much better the new master is than the old master. But we don't have to listen to him anymore. 
in makeover shows, I sometimes, I sometimes wonder about that comment that people make about a whole new me. Like really, <laughs> you know, we buff up, whack on a bit of lippy and get a haircut. We're new. The, the change is, is so small, really. But in Christ, we get a complete makeover. A brand new person. A new person to listen to the voice of God and to battle sin. We battle sin from a completely new perspective. Christianity is not a way of improving your life to become a better person. You and I don't need to become a better person. We need more than that. We need to be new people. And that is what happens in Christ, in our union with him. Now, it's a sanctification, the ongoing work of God in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word to make us like Christ, to grow us in holiness and in godliness. And in verses 11 to the end of the, at the end of the section here, that's what it's focused on. And notice that he says it starts with our minds. Verse 11 says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It starts with what we think and what we know and what we consider about ourselves. It starts with us remembering who we have become in Christ. We're, we're a new sheep in a new field with a new master, with a new life. You see, too often... <laughs> Uh, we believe the lie that we have no choice or no option but to fall into sin. Too often we, we, we believe or we remember the old life and the enslaved to sin life. And we act as though we're still enslaved to it. We need to be continually reminded of what has happened that we're dead and alive in Christ. How do we do that? Well, God has given us <laughs> uh, 66 books with the same message over and over again, pointing us to the Lord Jesus and reminding us and telling us who he is and what he's done and the change that has taken place in our lives. We meditate on the ones need to be retrained. We're, we're prone to flashbacks to sin. Our minds need to be retrained. And how are they retrained? Through the word of God. We need to soak in this truth so that it impacts our hearts, our affections, so that we love Christ more than we love that old self and that old sin. We and I, we, we, we can help each other here, can't we? We can help each other by reminding one another of what Jesus has done and who we've become in him. Jesus, the Bible tells us again and again to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to build one another up, 
How do you how do you do that? Well, you point each other to the one who does that work. In our growth groups, that's that's the work that we're doing when we come together and we 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 we, we speak God's word to one another. Uh, we're building one up. We're encouraging one another. We're we're reminding each other. We're new people in the Lord Jesus, and the old person is gone, and we have been saved from our sin, and we're not slaves to it anymore. And we remind each other how much better this new field is, and how much better this new life is, and how much better this new shepherd is for us. Not only then is it our minds, then Paul goes on from that, and he says, verses 12, uh, onwards he says therefore then let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body he's saying don't put yourself under sin once again that old person is gone you're not enslaved to it anymore so don't live as though it reigns over your life don't think that don't act that don't don't give uh, yourself over the members of your body, he says, as instruments of righteousness. Don't become enslaved to it anymore. Don't act as though you're a slave for it because you can't be enslaved to it. Now, Christians are going to sin. That, that's We know that. Now, 1 John tells us that if we we claim to be without sin. We, we make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in it. We are going to sin. But we don't need to let it rain. We don't need to walk in it, live in it, swim in it, soak in it. In Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we have the freedom and the ability to resist it, to repent of it, to walk away from it. And instead, to offer ourselves, our bodies, to God as instruments for righteousness. It's interesting, isn't it? This, this resistance is not passive. It's not just sit back and push back. No, of course, instead, offer yourselves, the members of your body, as instruments to God in righteousness. Live for him. Offer yourself in obedience. Offer yourself for his good, for his glory, for his work. Offer yourself to your new master, your new shepherd. Seek to soak yourself in his word and to know how good God is. And to finish off, and this is where we'll finish off, Paul reminds us again, this is all because of what has happened to us in the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. It will not reign over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You're a new person living in a whole new world order. That old order is gone where sin reigned and we were slaves, where we were in Adam. No, no, we're in a new order of grace, abounding grace. God's goodness, his forgiveness is live in. 
an age where his mercy never runs out. It, it's new ever morning. An age where his, his love never fails and his warm embrace never, ever runs out. Let's give thanks to him as we pray. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we, we're just so amazed by your great goodness to us, uh, so generously poured out to us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness we have, the, the right standing, the righteousness by faith. Thank you for all the blessings and the benefits. And thank you, Lord God, for a new life and a new heart. Thank you, Lord God, for that change that you have brought about within us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we, we want to be those people who, who live for you, who, who submit our lives to you, who are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And Lord God, we pray that you would work that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit and, and through uh, the work of your word. Enable us, Lord, to be a great encouragement to one another, to spur one another on that we might be people and a church who give glory to you. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.